This is the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we honor the year in music for 1995, along with a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 1995. We also look at the case for putting Motorhead into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Plus, our Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, Tennessee. Before we get going with the podcast, like everyone tells you, please like, subscribe, and hit the notification bell so you'll know when these podcast episodes drop, which is usually every Thursday. Now, on to this week's episode. The year was 1995. In music, the Beatles Anthology TV documentary aired, along with the premiere of their first song in over 20 years called Free as a Bird. The TV music show Live from the House of Blues premiered in 1995. Tommy Lee from Motley Crue married actress Pamela Anderson, beginning one of the most famous celebrity marriages of the 1990s. Michael Jackson released what became the biggest-selling double album of all time worldwide, History. After Green Day and The Offspring released their albums in 1994, Rancid released their 1995 album, Out Come the Wolves, which further helped to propel the rebirth of punk rock for a new generation of love and follow. Radiohead released their album, The Bends, that year. Celine Dion released the biggest-selling French-language album, Du. DC Talk released the influential Christian album Jesus Freak in 1995 as well. Perry Farrell of Jane's Addiction was arrested for drug possession, as was Scott Wayland of Stone Temple Pilots and Stephen Adler of Guns N' Roses. Tupac started his jail sentence for sexual abuse, but got out at the end of the year thanks to a deal with notorious record label owner Suge Knight. Bill Berry of R.E.M. suffered a brain aneurysm while performing on stage in 1995. He survived. A man tried to kill Jimmy Page while he was performing on stage in Michigan that year. Security got to the man before he could reach Jimmy, though, which is good. Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill was the biggest-selling album of 1995. Other big albums released in 1995 included Mariah Carey's Daydream, Queens's Made in Heaven, Shania Twain's The Woman and Me, No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom, Jules' Pieces of You, The Waiting to Exhale soundtrack, Bruce Springsteen's Greatest Hits, Oasis's What's the Story Morning Glory, Tupac's Me Against the World, Bjork's Post, and The Smashing Pumpkins' Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Coolio's smash hit Gangster's Paradise was the biggest selling song of the year, followed by TLC's Waterfalls, along with their other song Creep, Seal's Kiss from a Rose, Boys to Men's On Bended Knee, Real McCoy's Another Night, Mariah Carey's Fantasy, Madonna's Take a Bow, Monica's Don't Take It Personal, Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It, and Oasis's Wonderwall. 
In country music, the Great American Country Video Music Channel launched in 1995. The top country albums were Tim McGraw's All I Wanted, Garth Brooks's Fresh Horses, Alan Jackson's Greatest Hits Collection, John Michael Montgomery's self-titled album, Reba McIntyre's Starting Over, Shania Twain's Is The Woman In Me, Jeff Foxworthy's comedy country album, Game's Rednecks Play, Allison Krauss's Now That I've Found You, a collection, Travis Tritt's Greatest Hits from the Beginning, and Vince Gill's Souvenir. The biggest country singles included Tim McGraw's I Like It, I Love It, and Not a Moment Too Soon. George Straits's Check Yes or No, David Lee Murphy's Dust on the Bottle, Alan Jackson's Gone Country, along with I Don't Even Know Your Name, John Michael Montgomery's I Can Love You Like That, and his other song, Sold, Lori Morgan's I Didn't Know My Own Strength, Brooks and Dunn's Little Miss Honky Tonk, Pam Tillis's Mi Vida Loca, Colin Ray's My Kind of Girl, and Jeff Carson's Not On Your Love. In hip-hop, the big albums were Bone Thugs and Harmony's E! 1999 Eternal, Dog Food by The Dog Pound, Me Against the World by Tupac, Cypress Hill 3, Temple of Boom by, of course, Cypress Hill, Raekwon's Only Built for Cuban Links, The Friday Movie Soundtrack, Cocktails by Too Short, 8-Ball and MJG's On Top of the World, Old Dirty Bastards Return to the 36 Chambers, The Dirty Version, and LL Cool J's Mr. Smith. Singles-wise, Coolio dominated the year with Gangster's Paradise. Notorious B.I.G. had the songs One More Chance and Big Papa. LL Cool J had Hey Lover. Looney's had I Got Five on it. Tupac had Dear Mama. Dr. Dre had Keep Their Heads Ringing. Method Man and Red Man had How High. Junior Mafia had Player's Anthem. And DeBrat had Give It To You. In dance music, the usual batch of pop dance and R&B crossover artists made the dance charts like TLC, Madonna, and Michael Jackson. Hip-hop was also huge on the dance charts with songs from Notorious B.I.G., Funkmaster Flex, Junior Mafia, Naughty by Nature, and Method Man. However, there were some more quote-unquote legit dance artists on the charts, although it was mainly Eurodance artists like London Beat, 20 Fingers, 2 Unlimited, Black Box, Corona, Real McCoy, M People, Jamiroquai, Crystal Waters, Living Joy, and Labouche. Music Magazine started in 1995. The Chemical Brothers debuted with their album Exit Planet Dust. Bjork released Post, Bjork's one-time boyfriend. Goldie also released Timeless that year. Left Field released the album Leftism. Classic tracks from that year included Underworld's Born Slippy, The Bucketheads, The Bomb, These Thoughts Fall Into My Mind, and Todd Terry's 1995 remix of Everything But the Girl's 1994 ballad, Missing, which catapulted up both the dance and pop charts. In Latin music, the year was sadly about the loss of Tejano star Selena, who had six of the top ten Latin albums after her murder and four of the top ten singles. 
Other Latin artists who had big albums and singles included the Gypsy Kings, Luis Miguel, Gloria Estefan, Bronco, Marco Antonio Solis y Los Bucis, Pedro Fernandez, and La Lanya. In theater, Victor Victoria opened on Broadway. There were Broadway revivals of Hello, Dolly! and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, while the musical Dracula opened in Prague. Musical films of 1995 included the animated Arabian Night, along with Disney's Pocahontas, and Bye Bye Birdie, Empire Records, and The Show. Groups that formed in 1995 included the Black Eyed Peas, the Bacon Brothers, Buck Cherry, Capone and Noriega, Damage, Fountains of Wayne, Hooverphonic, Godsmack, Stained, Kevin Eubanks and the Tonight Show Band, Evanescent, Groove Theory, Keen, LFO, Lifehouse, InSync, Propellerheads, Morchiba, and Tegan and Sarah. Alan Wilder left Depeche Mode in 1995. Paul DeMore left Tool. Singer Robbie Williams left the band Take That and Girls, now probably your parents, lost their ever-loving minds that year. Bands that either broke up until their inevitable reunions or announced their hiatus in 1995 included Oingo Boingo, Two in a Room, Aztec Camera, Black Sheep, General Public, Pink Floyd, Bronsky Beat, the Jerry Garcia Band, The Cult, Except, Skinny Puppy, Kid and Play, Diggable Planets, Living Color, The Lynch Mob, Suicidal Tendencies, Sunny Day Real Estate, and The Soup Dragons. Bands that got back together in 1995 included Journey, The Misfits, and Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, who did a reunion tour in 1995 but officially got back together in 1999. Artists who were born in 1995 included singer and composer Poppy, BTS members V and Jimin, Megan The Stallion, Doja Cat, Melanie Martinez, Young and Yuta Nakamoto of NCT, Lil Uzi Vert, Dua Lipa, Givian, Ross Lynch of R5, Post Malone, Queen Nija, Troy Sivan, Jisoo Kim of Blackpink, A Boogie with the Hoodie, Michael Clifford of Five Seconds of Summer, Kehlani, and rapper Joey Badass. Lead singer Shannon Hoon of the alternative band Blind Melon passed away from a drug overdose in 1995. Tejano singer Selena was shot and killed by her fan club president. Grateful Dead lead singer Jerry Garcia passed away. Other musical artists who passed away in 1995 included Melvin Franklin of The Temptations, Rory Gallagher, rapper Easy e of N.W.A. from AIDS, Bobby DeBarge of the band Switch, Ronnie White of The Miracles, Dwayne Gotell of Skinny Puppy, Sterling Morrison of The Velvet Underground, jazz trumpet player Don Cherry, Jerry Daniels of The Ink Spots, Matthew Ashman of Adam and the Ants and also of the group Bow Wow Wow, entertainer extraordinaire and member of the Rat Pack, Mr. Dean Martin, Motown artist Junior Walker, Jimmy McShane of Baltimore, Roland Wolf of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, singer and actor Burl Ives, dancer and singer Ginger Rogers, singer Teresa Tang, singer Charlie Rich, singer Phyllis Hyman, 
singer Lola Flores, jazz drummer Art Taylor, David Cole of CNC Music Factory, blues singer Ted Hawkins, Bob Stinson of The Replacements, disc jockey Wolfman Jack, singer Alan McCarthy of Men Without Hats, Darren Robinson, a.k.a. The Human Beatbox from the rap group The Fat Boys, Yardbirds manager Peter Grant, Ingo Schwitzenberg of Halloween, and singer Nike Ardelia. Philip Taylor Kramer of Iron Butterfly went missing in 1995, but his remains weren't found until 1999. And Richie Edwards of the Manic Street Preachers went missing in 1995. He has not been seen since. In award ceremonies that were held for the music of 1995, Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill won Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards. Also at the Grammys, Seal's Kiss from a Rose won Record and Song of the Year, while Hootie and the Blowfish won Best New Artist. At the MTV Video Music Awards, TLC won Video of the Year for Waterfalls. TLC also won Artist of the Year at the Billboard Music Awards. Mary J. Blige, TLC, D'Angelo, and Notorious B.I.G. were the big winners at the Soul Train Music Awards. Garth Brooks won Artist of the Year at the American Music Awards. Reba McIntyre, Garth Brooks, and Hootie and the Blowfish won the musical categories at the People's Choice Awards. At the Eurovision Singing Contest, which was held that year in Dublin, Ireland, Secret Garden from Norway won for the song Nocturne. Alan Jackson won Entertainer of the Year at the Country Music Association Awards, while Brooks and Dunn won Entertainer of the Year at the Academy of Country Music Awards. Oasis won Best British Album for their iconic album, What's the Story, Morning Glory, and Take That won Best Song for Back for Good at the Brit Awards. Alanis Morissette won Album of the Year for Jagged Little Pill and Song of the Year for You Oughta Know, while Shania Twain was actually the Entertainer of the Year at the Juno Awards. Tina Arena won Album of the Year for Don't Ask and Song of the Year for Chains at the Aria Music Awards. At the Tony Awards, Sunset Boulevard won Best Musical and Showboat won Best Revival of a Musical. The Pulitzer Prize for Music went to Morton Gould for String Music, which actually premiered in 1994, but for some reason was eligible in 1995. Musically, at the Academy Awards, Il Postino won Best Film Score and Alan Menken won Best Song for Colors of the Wind from Disney's Pocahontas. Portishead's album Dummy won the Mercury Music Prize that year. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opened its physical museum in Cleveland, Ohio in 1995. That year's ceremony, though, was held as it was normally held on January 12th at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City. After years of having very few video cameras recording the event, MTV recorded it for an edited showing on its network the week after the ceremony, unlike now where it usually takes about a month or two. At the induction ceremony, music journalist Paul Ackerman was inducted into the non-performers category. The Orioles were inducted into the early influencers category. And in the performers category... The Hall inducted the Allman Brothers Band, Frank Zappa, Led Zeppelin, Martha Ann the Vandellas, Janis Joplin, the Reverend Al Green, and this next artist.
Neil Young has been called the godfather of grunge because of the way he distorted his guitar sound. Neil was born on November 12, 1945, in Toronto, Canada. He quit high school and formed his first real band called The Squires. During his early Canadian playing days, he met Stephen Stills, who was in a band called The Company. After the Squires broke up, Neil played the Ontario Coffee House circuit where he met Joni Mitchell. After that, Neil formed a band with Rick James called the Minor Birds. Yeah, you heard that right. Rick James, the king of punk funk, and Neil Young, the godfather of grunge, were once in a band together. Let that one marinate in your brain for just a minute. Anywho... Right after the Minor Birds were signed to Motown Records, and right when they started recording their debut album, James got arrested for being AWOL from the Navy Reserve. It was the 1960s, after all, and the draft was in full swing, and he had escaped up to Canada in order to evade the draft, but that didn't work once he got back to America. Anyway... After that, Neil quit the Minor Birds and moved to California in the mid-1960s. By the way, Neil came to the United States illegally and was an illegal immigrant until 1970 when he finally got his green card, according to him. There you go. During Neil's early days in Los Angeles, he formed the legendary group Buffalo Springfield with Stephen Stills, his old friend. After the group had a brief Hall of Fame career from 1966 to 1968, Neil went solo for one album, then went on to form his own band, Crazy Horse, who released the album Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere in 1969. Towards the end of 1969, Neil re with Stephen Stills and joined the group Crosby, Stills & Nash to form Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, or CSNY, in 1969. That lasted for only one year, but they released classic songs like Ohio and Teach Your Children before Neil went back to doing albums with Crazy Horse. Neil and Crazy Horse got together to work on their next album. Their next album was originally supposed to be the soundtrack for a movie written by Dean Stockwell, who was in the original TV show Quantum Leap, by the way. That movie was called After the Gold Rush. The movie never got made, and the screenplay has supposedly been lost for decades now, although I'm sure somebody's got a copy of it. The group recorded for a little while at Sunset Sound Studio in Los Angeles and managed to get two songs completed— Oh, Lonesome Me, and Believe in You. And then Neil decided that he wanted to go in a completely different direction, so he, in effect, fired his own band. He shifted gears and went home to Topanga Canyon in California, and there he set up a small studio in his basement that could only fit a few people. He got his CSNY bandmate, Stephen Stills, and the group's bassist, Greg Reeves, to come along for this journey. He also brought in Ralph Molina from Crazy Horse along with teenage guitarist Nils Lofgren. Nils would later go on to become a permanent member of Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. The group recorded songs like the new classic, Southern Man, After the Gold Rush, Cripple Creek Ferry, 
Don't Let Me Bring You Down, and Only Love Can Break Your Heart, which went to number 33 on the Billboard Singles Chart. When the album was released on September 19, 1970, it was received with mixed reviews. As with a lot of albums that the critics don't like, though, the public enjoyed it, taking it up to number eight on the Billboard Albums chart. Its reputation also grew over time to the point where now the album, simply titled After the Gold Rush, is considered one of the greatest albums of all time. In 1971, Neil started an acoustic tour and had planned to do a live acoustic album to go with it. Fate, however, intervened. During the tour, Neil stopped off in Nashville to do a taping of the Johnny Cash television show. During his time in Nashville, he received a call from Elliot Mazur, who owned Quadraphonic Sound Studios in the city. Mazur asked Young if he wanted to use his studio to record the new material that Neil had been working on. Neil said sure, and went into the studio to record. Mazur got some country music studio musicians to sit in, along with Linda Ronstan and James Taylor, to do backup vocals, since both Ronstan and Taylor were in town to tape their own segments for Cash's show as well. Neil liked the results so much that he eventually went out on tour with the country musicians, now nicknamed the Stray Gators, and scrapped plans for that live acoustic album. When Neil went back to California, he recorded some more songs in his barn there. He also got some recording sessions in New York done with Crosby, Stills, and Nash doing guest vocals and also with the London Symphony Orchestra participating on a couple of the tracks. That finished album, called Harvest, was released on February 2, 1972. Among the tracks were a live acoustic version of the song Needle and the Damage Done, about artists who were dealing with heroin addiction and was inspired by Crazy Horse member Danny Witten, who was battling the addiction at the time. The band fired Witten, who passed away from a drug overdose only a few weeks after he was kicked out of Crazy Horse. Also on the album were Heart of Gold and Alabama, which inspired Leonard Skinner to record Sweet Home Alabama in response to what the band felt was an insult to the people of Alabama. Leonard Skinner shouted out Neil Young in their song, and not in a good way. In 1976, Neil got back together with Stephen Stills to record the album Long May You Run. He also appeared with the group The Band during their last official concert in 1976. That concert was made into the film The Last Waltz. Neil finished up the decade with the classic album Russ Never Sleeps. The 1980s were considered Neil's experimental period as he tried different genres but didn't quite have the same success as he had in the 60s and 70s. He started to find his place on the musical landscape again when he and Crosby, Stills & Nash reteamed to release the 1988 album American Dream. Neil finished up the 1980s with a complete solo career resurgence when he released the 1989 album Freedom, which had the smash song Rockin' in the Free World, and then followed that up by getting back together with Crazy Horse for 1990s album Ragged Glory before getting back with the Stray Gators to release the 1992 album Harvest Moon. 
It was around this time that grunge music took hold and Neil became known as the godfather of grunge, even going so far as to record the 1995 album with Pearl Jam known as Mirrorball. After that, Neil settled into living legend status, putting out more albums with Crazy Horse, getting back together with Crosby, Stills, and Nash again, and putting out some solo work. Say what you will about Neil Young, one thing is definitely for certain. Dude can't stay in a band. I'm kidding. Just kidding. He just likes to stretch his musical boundaries and not get locked into a situation unlike a lot of artists. That's all. Neil released 45 studio albums, 12 live albums, 3 compilation albums, 4 soundtrack albums, and 2 EPs. Of those, 35 hit the top 40, with 8 going to the top 10, including Harvest, which hit number 1. Neil also released 62 singles, with 24 hitting the top 40, including 8 hitting the top 10, with 1971's Heart of Gold getting to number 1. He's also had 12 tribute albums made about him, and who can say that about themselves? He has been nominated for an Academy Award for his song City of Brotherly Love from the movie Philadelphia. That was also the year that Bruce Springsteen won that award for his song from Philadelphia, The Streets of Philadelphia. His albums and songs have made many a greatest of all time list. He's received a couple of Grammy Awards out of 26 nominations, a boatload of Juno Awards since he is Canadian, and he even won the 1989 MTV Video of the Year Award for This Notes for You, his song about musicians who were selling out and doing commercials for soda companies like Whitney Houston and Michael Jackson. Ironically, MTV originally banned the video because it featured Coke and Pepsi. Neil was also one of the original founders of Farm Aid and has been inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Presented for induction by Eddie Vedder of 2017 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees Pearl Jam, the godfather of grunge, Neil Young inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1995, and we have put a selection of his music onto this week's music podcast playlist, the link to which is in the show notes. Before we go any further, we'd like to tell you about our other podcast, the Music History Today podcast, where we go over the events, music releases, births, and passings for that day in music history. The Music History Today podcast drops each and every day, including on the weekends, on this channel, the Music History Today network, and also on our Music History Today network YouTube page. Now, back to the Music Halls of Fame podcast. This week, we're going to look at the case for putting Motorhead into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. England had a lot of economic struggles back in the 1970s. The country had high unemployment, especially among the youth, and there was also a lot of social unrest with strikes and riots. The new heavy metal movement of the time came from all of that strife, groups like Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, and the like. And Motorhead also came from that era and those times. 
led by the charismatic lead singer and guitarist Lemmy, the group were ranked at number 26 on VH1's Greatest Artists of Hard Rock list. They influenced thrash metal, punk rock, and speed metal. They released 23 studio albums, 16 live albums, including their classic No Sleep Till Hammersmith, 16 compilation albums, 3 box sets, and 5 EPs. Of those, 17 hit the top 40 in the UK, with 6 of those hitting the top 10. That includes No Sleep Till Hammersmith, which actually hit number 1. In America, only their 2013 album Aftershock and their 2015 album Bad Magic went top 40. The group also released 29 singles. Of those, only the 2016 reissue of the classic Ace of Spades made the American charts going to number 12. In the UK, six of their songs went top 40 with the 1981 live song Motorhead off of the No Sleep Till Hammersmith album going top 10, getting number six. Motorhead were nominated for four Grammy Awards, winning one in 2005 for Best Metal Performance. Their must-have albums to put into your collection include Bomber, Overkill, No Sleep Till Hammersmith, and probably their most famous album, Ace of Spades. Also, if you're a fan of professional wrestling, then you already know that Motorhead also did wrestler Triple H's entrance music called The Game. Motorhead were nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2020, but didn't make the final cut that year. Personally, I feel that the Hall was wrong to overlook them. Here's hoping that they do the right thing this time around and put Motorhead into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, especially now that Judas Priest has already been put in. And to bolster the case a little bit... We're going to put a selection of their music also onto our music podcast playlist this week, the link to which, as I've said before, is in the show notes. This week's Spotlight Hall of Fame is the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum. The Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum is located in Nashville, Tennessee, and was opened on April 1st, 1967, but they started inducting members into the hall in 1961. The museum has almost 200,000 recordings and an extensive collection of memorabilia. The museum is located at 222 Fifth Avenue South and is open daily from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., except on Thursdays when they're closed. Ticket prices are anywhere between $28 to $72, depending on packages. Kids 6 through 12 are $18 to $57, depending on packages, and is one of Nashville's biggest tourist attractions, even though it is expensive as, well, let's just say it's expensive. Go to countrymusichalloffame.org for more information, along with updated ticket pricing and hours of operation, since things tend to shift according to the weather, and you also may have to reserve your tickets now in advance. There is no denying Ray Charles's musical genius. 
He helped to invent soul music by combining rhythm and blues, jazz, and gospel. He also helped to integrate country music with pop and R&B in order to help it cross over. According to Rolling Stone magazine, Charles is the second greatest singer of all time and the 10th greatest artist of all time. Ray was born on September 23, 1930 in Georgia. Ray's grandfather gave up custody of his mother, Aretha, to a family friend because Ray's grandmother had passed away and the grandfather couldn't afford to keep Ray's mother. That family friend named Bailey had an affair with Ray's mother, which created a huge scandal at that time in that part of the country. And Ray was actually the byproduct of that affair. Ray started to learn the piano at the age of three. At the age of five, he developed a case of glaucoma and became completely blind. His mother fought for Ray to go to a school for blind children in St. Augustine, Florida, but when Ray was 14, his mother passed away. He left school after the funeral. Ray started playing piano for other people in Jacksonville, Florida, and then moved to Orlando, Florida, and did the same thing, although at that point, the playing opportunities had dried up because it was post-World War II, and all the soldiers had gone back home, and that area had a lot of military bases. Ray found it tough going for a little while, sometimes going without food. He also had enough of playing for other people, and he wanted to play with his own band. Ray followed a friend of his out to Seattle, Washington, but not before recording a few songs, which are the earliest known recordings of his. In Seattle, a couple of things happened that would have a consequence on popular music. The first was that he befriended a 15-year-old boy named Quincy Jones. The legendary Q would end up becoming lifelong friends with Ray and would work with him, with Quincy making his own impact on music, including producing the biggest selling album of all time worldwide, Michael Jackson's Thriller album. The second thing was that Ray finally got to start his own traveling band. In 1949, Ray had his first major hit called Confession Blues. A few more hits came along, and Ray started making a name for himself. After a few years of being on smaller labels, he signed a record deal with Atlantic Records, which made him extremely successful for the time. He still didn't quite have a lot of crossover success, but two things changed that. One was a song, and the other was an album. In 1959, Charles was 10 years into his career. He and his band were playing a show in Brownsville, Pennsylvania. He was playing what were known at the time as meal shows, where you'd play for a couple of hours, take a break, and then play for a couple more hours. On this particular night, the band had played through their second set way too quickly and had about 12 minutes left to kill. Charles had to think fast, so he told the band to start playing a fast blues beat and to follow what he did. He started playing a simple melody, made up words that didn't really make any sense, and did a call and response with his backup singers. The audience went wild when the song was done. Charles decided to record this song after that. In February of 1959, Charles went into the recording studio to record the song at Atlantic Records Studio. That song, What I Say, 
was one of two that they recorded that day and was recorded in four takes with no overdubs. That was because the band had played it enough during their tour that they didn't need to work it out in the studio. There were a few problems with what I'd say, though. The first was that the original version of the song was over seven minutes long. They decided to cut the song into two parts. Part two is the more famous part. The second is that there were some phrases in the call and response parts that were deemed questionable by 1959 standards, such as shake that thing. Go figure. Those parts were cut out so the song wouldn't get banned. Even still, the song was actually banned for a time, not only for some lyrics, but also because it had a gospel feel. Gospel being done by secular artists didn't wash in 1959. It was blasphemous. Whew, good thing those people weren't around to see rap music. Anywho, of course, what the parents hated, the kids ate up and turned this song into a crossover smash. Soon, even British bands started playing What I Say. What I Say is considered the song that birthed soul music. Plus, it's a cool song to dance to. Not gonna lie. While Ray was signed with Atlantic Records, he achieved major success by combining soul, gospel, and blues. And in the middle of 1959, Ray switched record labels to ABC Paramount Records after getting an extremely above-average-for-its-time record deal. This contract gave him a better royalties rate and also his master tapes, eventually making him one of the first black musicians to have that much control over his music and his own career. Ray also continued having big hits like the songs Georgia On My Mind and Hit the Road Jack. In 1962, he recorded what turned out to be considered one of the greatest albums in music history. Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music was Ray's experiment with country music. At the time he recorded it, racial segregation was at its peak and the civil rights movement was in full swing. Racial tensions were at a boiling point, so for a black artist to do what a lot of people considered and still consider white music, quote-unquote, did not sit well with a lot of people, including some of the people on his own record label. Nonetheless, Ray pursued his idea. Once he signed an extension to his really big contract, he and his band got down to business. Sid Feller was the producer for this album. The group recorded and produced the album on February 5th and 7th at Capitol Studios in New York City and at United Western Recorders in Hollywood, California on February 15th. That was it. Three whole days. None of this taking five years to record an album like some artists do. The album was a bunch of cover songs. However, Ray put his own twist on them, including using a big band sound at times with lush string arrangements. Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music was released on April in 1962 and, thanks to a whole lot of marketing, became a huge seller right out of the gate. It spawned four hit singles, with each of them becoming big hits on the adult contemporary, country, and pop charts. In the process, Ray helped to bring country music to the mainstream. The album itself won Album of the Year at the Grammy Awards. 
In 2005, the Country Music Hall of Fame inducted Ray Charles for the monumental impact that modern sounds in country and western music had in helping country music cross over into the mainstream. Ray continued his career, but there were, of course, some bumps along the way, and as with a lot of artists, with the good comes the bad. He was arrested a few times on drug charges that last time made him go into rehab. Listen, it was either that or he had to do some time in jail, so guess which one he chose. Thankfully, though, it worked and it got him off of the drugs. Drugs didn't derail his career for a time, though. The changing music scene in the late 1960s and 70s did that. Funny thing happened, though. As time went on, Ray became respected and even revered. He began getting inducted into a lot of Hall of Fames, including being one of the first people to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, along with winning more than a few Legacy Awards. All of the newfound love allowed him to have a career resurgence, during which he even won another Grammy for Album of the Year, this time in 2004. There was also a movie based on his life called Ray, with Jamie Foxx winning an Academy Award for Best Actor for playing Ray. Ray Charles passed away from liver failure on June 10, 2004. The genius, Ray Charles, inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum in Nashville, Tennessee in 2005, And we have put modern sounds in country and western music and a few other choice songs onto the podcast music playlist for this week. The link, as I've said numerous times already, is in the show notes. The Music Halls of Fame podcast is part of the Music History Today network, which can be found under Music History Today on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts from, and also on our YouTube page under Music History Today. Thank you very much for listening.